Hello and welcome to Artistically Ours, Neurocast podcast, a podcast where I talk to people about their neurodivergent story. And talking to neurodivergent people, this episode is no different. This is me talking to, to Sarah Rose Gibbs, and who is a published author and comedic uh, scriptwriter. We chat about different things from her script work in script writing, her autism diagnosis, of course, and writing and publishing her memoir. We talk about artistic labels and are given to autistic women before they get diagnosis, and the issues around uh, in scientific research in the field of autism. And what can do be done to understand autism a lot more by us answering the questions autistic people have about the neurodivergent self. In this uh, podcast so series, you can also find episodes, past episodes from Rachel Rinder articulate. You may find also interviews with and um, and. Um, Livic Viva, who's the new uh, rebel on social media, you'll be able to find several more interviews with people like Sophie Lavender, uh, Sarah Boone, you can find ones from Harriet Kemsley, Davila Morris, and so much more. If you go, go back in this podcast feed, if this is a new episode to you and the first time listening to this podcast now i've uploaded uh episodes onto youtube so you can just search the new rainbow project on youtube to find three episodes of three episodes and interviews of the new rainbow projects and they will cast interviews so far with select guests like uh Sarah Jean Harvey, uh, Darwin Morris, Harriet Kemsley uh, on the YouTube channel as well as Lydia Wilkins and some more been added in time. uh, You can find more details of these interviews and guests on the website www.newrainbowproject.com dot com a simplified video you can find links to get getting over the pod the guests on the podcast you'll be able to find new new articles getting uploaded at the minute and worked on and you'll also find uh bits on getting to know the guests as i just said and links to all the videos and where you can listen to the podcast as well so let's get into today's episode with Sarah Rose Gibbs. Hi, I'm Sarah Gibbs. Uh, I'm a comedy writer and author. Wrote a book called Drama Queen. Um, some people might have read it. If you haven't, um, please do plug. Um, and uh, I'm obviously I'm autistic and uh, very excited to be here today. All right. Thanks for introducing yourself, Sarah. As as we're saying about your book, I read that and it was excellent read and quite emotive and empowering, as you say, you're well 
it can reflect on like the labels that you've been given for out your life and kind of like focusing on as a member looking up to up until the time you got label or being autistic yeah and you know like it kind of mainly highlighted you getting a label drama queen so so like i tend to ask about like at the start about the diagnosis on like when you got diagnosed and what like uh treats and experiences you have as an autistic person yeah oh so my diagnosis wow that was um almost five years ago now um so i was 30 and it kind of came completely out the blue in what I think a lot of late diagnosed people might relate to this. It came completely out of the blue in one way and then completely not in many others. Um, it explained a lot. But before it was suggested to me that I might be autistic, I didn't know anything about autism, really. I, I, knew, I knew what I thought I knew, you know, what what lots of people think they know, that, that um, autistic people are maths, like savants and things like uh, utter nonsense um, or stereotypes. And so um, I actually, um, it was suggested to me that I was autistic by my cousin, Dominique, um, who is wonderful and knows a lot of a lot about autism for various reasons and um, we were just at a family party and it was quite an overwhelming situation and I was sort of without realizing it stimming and um, I was sort of pushing the very posh food around my plate and not eating it and I was dressed really bright and loud and you know uh, I was sort of ticking a lot of boxes and we we didn't know each other all that well before this um, and she just suddenly said to me you know you're autistic right and uh, I was like no 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 you don't understand I'm, I'm really bad at maths uh, so that that can't be right and she's like that, that's not what autism is or, um, and she just she was so patient and very gently and quite bravely I think you know given the potential for a bad reaction or the stigma around being autistic she she explained to me how autism can present differently in different people and um, I just sort of I sat there at the table and I found this little like not diagnostic quiz obviously nothing is diagnostic yeah. officially but I found this little quiz online and did did the checklist and it was like you are very likely autistic I was like huh huh okay um <laughs> I guess I guess I should look into this more but I suppose the online quizzes are for helpful to think well have I just think thinking this or have I been told this and it's just absolutely real and then you can think or maybe I should look into this a bit further. Yeah. As you said, it must have been quite a big thing to never put the words Savan autism together before that moment. And it must have been quite a big thing then, just all of a sudden being told, sorry, you're autistic, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it threw me for a loop. And at first I was quite resistant. I did that little quiz and I was like oh but you know that's like horoscope syndrome like you you can apply anything like I bet everyone would score high on this quiz um and Dominique said look I'm gonna send you some resources and like if you think it's not you then we, we won't talk about it again it's fine and she sent me this sort of list on how I, I guess it's tricky because discussions move so quickly in in sort of liberation spaces and disability spaces and you know five years ago we were talking about autism in women as its own distinct thing and today you know we, we very much think along the lines of there's no female autism it's just that our behaviors are interpreted differently or that there are different presentations of autism and those aren't necessarily gendered um, but at the time she sent me a checklist of like what autism can look like in women 
and I was like oh like sort of reading it the next day I was like that's me that's not like it's like someone followed me around with a notepad my whole life like even just really specific stuff childhood stuff interests like it it was like honestly like reading a biography of myself written by someone I didn't know and it was very spooky yeah I was was saying with that you know it like as you say if you didn't know you're autistic then you know you'd assume that everyone's like experiences are like what what you like is like the status quo or what people are typically like and Mm. then you know like it's just felt like a surprise then to realize that you know not everyone else is in the same way as you okay and as you were saying then you know like with how like things can progress quite quick in the community then and like how you found that first year with autism uh, reference to yourself then you know like you were still thinking of like being man ideals of the self and the math stuff and as you say about like the community moving back and it's always how far like the rest of society is and the main the more mainstream narrative mm. is kind of further away from what autism actually is. Yeah, it's a gulf, isn't it? It's massive between what society thinks autism is and what autistic people know autism is. Or uh, not even, I mean, I talk about autism as like this concept, this sort of, you know, like, as if it's a condition, because that's how we're, we're sort of conditioned to talk about it, so to speak. We're, we're taught that you know, autism is a medical diagnosis and, and, that and actually like you know autism is it's it's a neurotype and it's an identity and it's it sort of shapes who you are so like talking about autism as like you know as a as a thing feels really weird even now um that's how far away we are from how the rest of society is talking about it um yeah it, it is jarring and I think it's it's really interesting because the more you're in autistic spaces and the more you're immersed in autistic culture and other autistic people you almost sort of forget and then someone will say something like oh well we're all a bit autistic right and the rage bubbles up and you're like you have to yeah. remember to be kind of like quite patient with people because they they really don't know and there was a time when I didn't know and like if someone had yelled at me I probably never would have known so it's it's tricky isn't it yeah because yeah it's quite tricky then because it's like until you enter the spaces of like what like the artistic communities then you're like not known to a not don't know that much about autism and why it actually is and as you're saying about engaging with community and looking at whatever resources there is you know like you can learn so much about yourself and mm. about you know what autism actually is then and like you know like like since you've been diagnosed and since you started talking about it online then you've been able to, to engage in the world of that yeah but you know it's interesting because you you're given when you're diagnosed and you don't have that community support beforehand and this is why I think self-diagnosis first is so valuable because if you if you are sort of self-identifying and you do enter those spaces a little bit before your medical diagnosis you're less likely to blunder into them like I did using the medicalized language that you've been given by your doctors by your peers without sort of the understanding a framework of, of narratives and discussions around disability and so I you know when I was first diagnosed I was like oh okay well I, I, the doctors said I'm high functioning so I guess I'm high functioning whatever that like I didn't think about yeah. what it meant or you know what functioning labels meant or if they were okay I just I was like that's what I've been told I am and I've been told I have Asperger's and I've been told you know so you kind of you if it's it's tricky entering those spaces for the first time and then opening your mouth and finding out just how big that gulf is and you know it it can really upset and trigger people which is completely understandable because 
it's exhausting. And I, you know, I know five years in how exhausting it is to hear people say the same things over and over that, you know, are like not okay. But yeah, it's, it's a daunting thing when you're newly diagnosed, trying to enter the conversation and probably getting it wrong because you haven't had that sort of support and, um, and the tools to understand yet. Um, And it's all, it's all part of the learning process. But I think because I maybe had a little bit, not a big profile, but I had a bit of a Twitter following and I, I, you know, I had my writing and things. When I made those mistakes, they were a lot more visible and it was a lot more embarrassing. Yeah. I was just saying with with your Twitter profile, I think it's like somehow like since like you had like a bit of a following before then. And I think since you've been diagnosed and since you started talking about it, I think like your like online presence kind of like increased rapidly Mm. on like social media. And when you were talking about uh, self-diagnosis then, I think not like being able to engage beforehand before your diagnosis and research a lot before that of like looking at if it's like TikTok videos of autistic people reading their tweets and different blogs of autistic people I think and like talking to autistic people I think then that can give you the power to self-advocate as yeah. you were saying with the medical language and what doctors can say it's ha- I think then it's harder without kind of self-identifying first to be able to know how to tell your doctor and communicate mm. in a way that can ensure you a more likely chance of getting diagnosed. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the knowledge is power and the more you have when you're going into that situation, the better really, because if you're prepared for your doctor and my doctor did say, oh, well, I don't see the point because there's no cure. <laughs> so, well, I'd, that's, I, at that point, you know, I didn't know a lot, but I knew enough to know that like, I didn't want a cure. I just wanted, no. I wanted some validation and I wanted an answer. And the only reason I think that I got referred on was because um, my husband via work has a sort of like automatic benefit from his workplace of ha- private health insurance. And so I I think that my doctor was ready to say no. And when I said, I'll go private, he was like, oh, OK, here you go. Here's, he like, did, you know, washed his hands of it and that was fine for him. Um, but, you know, if you are you're navigating a system that doesn't want to refer you on, that doesn't have a great understanding of autism, full stop, let, let alone like late diagnosis or, um, you know, autism in adults or, um, you know, d- different presentations of aut- autism or autistic identities, then, you know, you you might come up against something. And, it, and it's really hard for us in medical situations to advocate yeah. for ourselves at the best of times. You, you know, it's 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 scary and it's it's stressful and it's ad- Admin and you know it can be really difficult so the more the more you have the better yeah because as you were saying with uh, the medical professionals and again like talking to your GP about that it's then difficult because you you have to like kind of like trust and feel comfortable and safe to your doctor to talk about these things and mm. you know like feel comfortable in talk you know like talking about it and then hopefully like get like getting referral from that and sometimes it's not always lucky or fortunate to get that and yeah sometimes then if you like it's stressed out as it can be quite stressful process then you know like it can be then hard to get words out then and I think as you're saying that like if like by this seems it was a doctor saying it was a bit pointless referring you because you know like there's no such thing as cure but then you know it's like as you're saying it's not about cure and it's like the issue then with the medical community is that negative language around yes. autism expressing it 
expecting it to be something to be cured or, you know, treated in a medical sense. But, like, for an autistic person or neurodivergent person, getting a diagnosis of any neurodivergent condition is about finding something out about yourself. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's difficult because what do you do? You go into a doctor's surgery and say, but I just want to understand myself better. They, yeah. they, don't, they don't care about that. You're, you're a list of symptoms to them. Um, so, you know, you sort of have to play their game a little bit. And we're not great at playing games. You know, yeah. that's not that's not in our wheelhouse necessarily as autistic people to know the right thing to say to make the right thing happen, even if it's not true or, if you know, it's it's quite difficult for us. Yeah. Have to be honest yeah it's like with like the labels you're attached on in the book you know like you like you were like mm. maybe like being seen as like lazy difficult or and like stuff like that as well as you know you said drama queen and like sensitive and stuff like that and the thing is then I guess it was like a point of getting a diagnosis it's not understanding about like these negative labels and understanding it it's not like there's a reason behind this and it's autism and like I guess like you probably like with the negative labels you might have found something before but never like thought about it that you know seemed a bit different mm-hmm. hence the labels and it probably like you went to the belief of knowing what it is yeah absolutely I mean people when I first went for a diagnosis so many people said to me why do you need a label it's like oh sorry just the one you know why do I need one label let me tell you about all the other labels that you know that's like you said it's there's so much judgment and and self-judgment as well and um and lack of understanding and lack of compassion for i mean even when you have a diagnosis there's still people who think you're putting it on or you know or they or that you're just a bit quirky or that you're very mild or all of these things when you don't have a diagnosis and you're just behaving in a way people perceive to be wrong or odd or different or difficult um then you've got no you've got no way to even defend yourself to yourself you've got no way to protect your self-esteem and and your self-image you start to really believe all these terrible negative things about yourself because you're hearing them constantly so it's it's a relief to get a label that that is is compassionate and explains things and isn't you know laced with judgment and cruelty. Yeah, because it can be quite exhausting trying to explain these things. Mm-hmm. And then if like getting a label like autism as was as we were discussing earlier, then you know, with the thing of like the autistic community moving faster or like the how involved in the conversation around autism yeah. faster than the rest of the society. Then you know, when you like thought that people just perceive you as mild. And like since that, like using terms more like autism and high functioning or Asperger's these days, then yeah. I think there's some people still that would think of autism as more like a what what they see as like high like the traditional like uh, look traditionally seen as under the functioning labels of look more yeah. lower functioning all I guess support needs. Yeah, I think in, in terms of like support needs, it's. It's really tricky having that conversation, like you say, because we are so much further on in the disability community than mainstream society. And a lot of people, they might have an autistic relative, they might have an autistic relative with very high support needs or with comorbid conditions or an autistic relative who is non-speaking. And so they see that and they cannot comprehend an existence where where a life is still valid without all of the things that they value yeah um so so there's that there's that that, that there's that side of it where they look at autistic people and they think 
low functioning because it's not the life that they would enjoy. Um, they're like, oh, all these rigid behaviors and narrow interests and they can't even do this and they can't even do that. And it's like, but that doesn't mean it's not a happy life. That doesn't mean it's not a, a valid life. That doesn't mean it's not a good life. And then also what they do on the flip side is they look at someone like me who talks a mile a minute um and that's uh, you know that's a, a sort of special interest thing is, is a language thing for me I've always yeah. been hyperlexic I've always really enjoyed using language I've I've always enjoyed overusing language um and so they assume because I'm like quite highly verbal um that I am wildly competent in all other areas um, and, and, you know, the, one of the things I hear a lot is, you know, you, it's insulting because my relative X, Y and Z can't live independently. And so, but I can't live independently. I don't live independently. If you saw how high my support needs actually are, they're not they're not high in terms of I don't need, I, you know, I don't need assistance speaking or dressing, but they're high in terms of I like I I have quite um, a lot of chronic health conditions, which are would be unmanageable without my husband advocating for me because they require multiple conversations with the, with the doctor, you know, like quite frequently and constant admin to keep on top of prescriptions and constantly remembering to take medications. I'd be dead. Um, you know, I'm not well enough um, with my comorbid conditions to, to cook for myself and clean, uh, clean up after myself. I don't, I genuinely could not survive without, you know, without pretty much full-time care. And so when people sort of write your needs off, they go, well, you're, you, you're fine. You're mild. And it's like, but that's, that's not a helpful, it's not a helpful framework to, to look at disability to say, well, you can do one thing. So you, you should be able to do all things, or you can't do some things. Therefore your life isn't valid and you're not valuable. Yeah. As I was saying about somebody who will see, see you like that, then it's like sometimes like somebody would only see one side of, of you and you know like as everyone would know about themselves that there's many sides to uh, like them as a person and that's the same for mm-hmm. an autistic person and like everyone like varies from day to day and that's the same for autistic people you know like um, needs can vary from day to day yeah, as you absolutely. say with like having chronic health conditions you know you're, like your chronic health can be like but maybe be better than one day and then you can have like certain periods of flare-ups and things where you're severely ill and that like does uh, impact on like being autistic as well and I think that flexibility of what what autism is like people forget how broad the spectrum is yes totally I think they think a spectrum is left to right and it's, it's fixed you are you're either mild or you're severe. You're either quirky or you're tragic. And you, like you say, it fluctuates. And also it's it's interesting how people will use those good days against you. Well, you managed it last week. You did so well the other week. It's like, well, I was in a different situation the other week. Or like it's 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 very, very hard to get people to understand the reality of your you know, ever evolving lived experience. And and also when you think about how that works in terms of disability benefits, where, you know, they they yes. they effectively test your ability to do things in really like limited and and regressive ways. And yeah. it it it's it's unrealistic. So if you can do something one day or you can crawl across a room in some cases, I've heard horror stories, um, then they assume that you are 
able to be completely independent and and able to work and that you don't need support and it's again it's a it's a regressive picture and it it, it you know it results in people not getting the financial or practical support that they need to live yeah because as you're saying with uh, benefits and the uh, welfare system it focuses a lot on what can you do and trying to find ways of like proving something off you rather than like what would like to me it seemed like the well, best approach would be like finding what do you need help with, what like support resources you would need, whether that's financial and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, a benefit system where you didn't feel wonderful, wouldn't it? Just yeah. a benefit system where you could actually state your needs and you didn't have to exaggerate, not that anyone's exaggerating, but you know, yeah. you don't feel like you have to present the worst possible case scenario at all times. You can say, look, sometimes I'm able to do this. Most of the time I'm not. And sometimes I might, you know, have a good day and, and things are better, but like 90% of the time. And, you know, if you could present, you know, be treated like an adult, be treated with, you know, with some credit, with the, with the benefit of, of you know people people trusting you to relay your own experience yeah. I don't think most uh, you know I'm sure there are very few outliers who just don't want to work I don't think 99.9% of people are just trying to cheat some system because they can't be bothered I think that's ludicrous and I think treating a hundred percent of people as if they're trying to scam you in case the zero point zero one percent slip through I would rather those people fraudulently claimed some benefits these these tiny nothing percentage of people then the people who really need those benefits can't have an adult frank conversation about what their needs are without feeling under attack without being worried that they're going to lose their livelihood or their support yeah because i like with the you know benefit system you like as you say with like with the state of it it's like you know like you have to keep on proving yourself and you know replaying for different things and it's like with condition like autism and like your chronic illnesses they are temporary conditions you know like you always mm-hmm. will be living with the conditions and be being autistic so it's like it's quite tiring to prove it and it's like sometimes I think it'd be nice if you could stop and like certificate of proof as like the person was talking with Esther was like find see rather than sometimes telling people she's autistic it's things much easier just to say you know her own specific needs yeah. uh, that she may have and like the different uh, like ways of like having support and I think sometimes that, that can be, be much like preferable just to be able to like actually say what, what your needs are yeah. and like I'd say like it, it would be handy if you could just have a certificate this is why I need help for and as you say, it's then advice, you know, like, you know, like the system's for you to too much adults just to like try to get like prove you like double like when or zero point percent or whatever yeah and you know I, I really think I really believe it should be like an honor system you know, you know you should not have to prove anything to anyone you should be treated like a grown-up with you know with honesty and agency and also it's a system that locks autistic people out especially if you don't have someone advocating for you if yeah. you find admin difficult if you have executive dysfunction issues issues like I really do if I had you know I'm very very fortunate to not uh, you know at, at this point in my life be be having to be reliant on benefits in any way um, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to be able to work and I'm fortunate that my husband works and that if I if I couldn't work, we'd probably be OK. Um, but if I had to, if I had to, you know, regularly fill out forms, regularly advocate for myself face to face, you know, regularly know what the right things to say were, and you know, and all of those things, 
that for me, someone who struggles greatly with executive function, that could be fatal. You know, that that could yeah. actually that could prevent me again. It's 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 obstructive to the point of of being discriminatory against the people it purports to help. Yeah, because with like autistic people having so very different current conditions, as you say, with like chronic illnesses to like if you got like specific learning. Uh, dif- uh, difficulties to learn disabilities, intellectual disabilities, then, you know, like form filling and like going for the benefits post there's mm. in the system then can be incredibly tough and difficult. Yeah, absolutely. And from, from what we've been saying, it's like I think often like for conversations and like understanding about like our di- like disability community and autism and they were divergent communities and the issues we we find are problematic it's like the lack of having a balanced power where neurodivergent and disabled people aren't in the power to like set like the like the language that they use around uh, diagnosis or mm. like the uh, as you say about the benefits or educational support and stuff like that yeah i i think you know there's a there's a problem in general in autism discussions and this has come up recently that horrible spectrum news article that came out i don't know if you saw all of that that spectrum news posted an article which i i felt i'm going to be very careful with the language i use here for legal reasons i felt was quite an unfair character assassination of some very very good people um who made some very reasonable points about a very um problematic study um and they were sort of you know quite i i think quite comprehensively ripped to shreds and it was implied that they that they're impeding scientific progress and all of this there is a problem with the way that the scientific community in general and i and i and i'm i am not you know i am i am pro science yay science but when you are studying a group of people and a marginalized group of people and you are then then you are claiming to speak for that group of people People, and you end up speaking over that group of people, treating them like lab rats, not listening to their lived experience, not listening to the studies or, or um, areas of study that might help improve their lives, and instead focusing on pathologizing them and focusing on uh, things that feel dangerously close to eugenics. And those are the people monopolizing the conversations about autism. Those are the people generally interviewed about autism on TV. They're the people writing books about autism. They're the people consulting on autism projects they're the people who are advising parents on their autistic children and and autistic adults are sort of treated like they're hysterical or difficult or you know or or trying to sort of whitewash the experience of being autistic and painted or romanticize it that's another word that comes like you're trying to romanticize autism when what you're trying to say is no 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 like just please don't blink us out of existence we exist and we're valid and we like who we are but you could do these things to make our lives easier and maybe stop focusing so hard on trying to cure us it is frustrating and I you know I don't blame like regular people for not having a clue what goes on because of course you want to you you trust experts and you should trust experts and unfortunately in this case some of the experts are not particularly listening to the subjects they say they so desperately want to understand. Yeah, as you were saying with that, you know, it's like we should be able to trust experts, but it's like often not. We do feel like, like, why can't there be like 
experts are working within the communities that are neurodiverse and are disabled people that mm-hmm. you know are trusted for the authority of personal experience and as we say you know like it's important to be able to trust science and, and believe in the facts of science but like as science is supposed to do is find the answers of what the disabled and neurodivergent community went answers to uh, and like finding ways of like support and understanding us in the way we went to us like the science community would naturally research like the autistic community if they try and understand more about autism and mm. for that should really be listening to that community yeah I think the problem is is that you know we talk about science like this catch-all term and science you know it is it, it's 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 studied by humans and humans set an agenda uh, as to as to what they focus on um and so you know we're, we're not talking about sort of social sciences or psychology of of trying to understand autistic people and our needs or we're not talking about pharmacological science in terms of trying to help people with things like sensory processing disorders or executive function or or you know any any kind of any kind of therapies that that support us in our autistic identities um and validate us but but still help us to exist in the world without i'm not talking about aba with you know that that tries to that tries to sort of stamp out our autistic traits or or lessen the impact of autistic people on the people around them um and so you know when it you know it's it's really reductive for people to say oh you're impeding the progress of science because you don't want scientists to say discover the gene the autism gene it's like well okay take a step back why why do you want to know what the gene is if you're not trying to do anything with it if you're not trying to eliminate it what is the purpose of it if you don't want prenatal screening if you don't want to effectively you know eugenics us that's not a verb but you know what I mean out of existence what do you need to know that for? And in the meantime, there are many, many autistic people who do exist, who, um, you know, we, and, and I'm not going to get into this trap of saying, oh, we're valuable to the world. We are. And yeah. any diversity, all diversity is valuable to the world. All diversity is is good for, you know, it, it offers different perspectives. It offers different, you know, different talents, different gifts. But even if you are never able to contribute anything sort of in an economic sense to the world, or it, it, it's irrelevant. You, we're human beings, we're valid. And we have needs now. We need, you know, I, I don't care what gene caused me I care whether or not I can get through a zoom call without my eyes watering I don't care you know what my spit says about why I'm autistic I care about you know I care about being able to call the doctor or you know fill out a form or you know be able to work if I want to or you know all of the I don't it's it's not about impeding science it's about trying to just steer the ship in a direction that's actually going to be actively helpful to us and not treat us like a problem to be solved yeah I was just yeah that's a fair point to say because it's about like as you were seeing with the uh, issue of the looking at the uh, like whether they study and stuff like the genes of mm. the causations of autism, like there's, it should be like a reason that the autistic community themselves would want to find out. 
and actually asking why that you went to find this out and like examine the ethics of it. And I think that like it's them difficult for the autistic community and the neurodivergent disabled communities. Oh, the majority of the scientific community seems to be far apart from these communities that they're supposed to be doing research on and working for really. Yeah. And like any like autistic science scientists in the field of autism research so be able to like have an authority where they can advise on and like have ability to direct the research or like speaking to like focus groups or like very naughty people yes be like finding out the things they want to know because as you were saying that like an autistic person would want want to know maybe the stuff that like the scientists this like the science facts of like maybe like support with like the the mental health and the the occurrence of like stuff like depression and anxiety mm. and trauma and or to what else you're saying about the sensory conditions like you know like how like like if you sen- sensitivity to bright lights how that can cause headaches and something that can produce light sensitive and different stuff like that that's like this the stuff that an autistic person would want uh, supportive not like knowing so much about the like autism genes or different stuff yeah. like that yeah totally agree and you know uh, how do I sleep through a night I don't think I've ever slept through a whole yeah. night that would be great if they could find a way to, to deal with sleep disturbance in autistic people um, because a lot of the solutions in general for a lot of things um, they they are based with you know understandably because neurotypical people are the majority. They are based with neurotypical people in mind, and so a lot of the a lot of the therapies, a lot of the medications, and we and we also by the way can have odd reactions to medications. Things work differently f- for yeah. us, you know. All of these things, I I I would love research into specifically into how to help autistic people with with different conditions and and in in medicalized settings and all sorts of things, but we don't get a say in in where that research is focused and we're treated like we want to get in the way of that progress instead yeah because it's like like some sometimes in a day-to-day life like you can think of like as like kind of saying specific question after mm-hmm. you're thinking of like oh i wonder like how like so many different like chronic illnesses tend to co-occur in art autistic yeah. people or as you, you were saying about it or like very different things like with medication and stuff like you know on the sleep issues like how to, like does this all uh you know link in because like as you say not like the community's been more power advanced and it's like i think like the developing it's understanding and like our learning of the autistic experience far more mm. than like the holistic community t- does about us and as I say like the uh, like new majority of more is more holistic so I've ended up researching and working in the science field and then you know it's not examining these things so we still yet to have answers and research into the issues of like as I say sleep and all that. Yeah and also um just expediting diagnoses of comorbid conditions could be really useful if you have a comprehensive picture of say like you say comorbid conditions um and and different autistic profiles and perhaps the likelihood the statistical likelihood of of different autistic people with different traits having different comorbid conditions then you wouldn't have to say for years 
go through an holistic medical community that isn't designed to know what your comorbid conditions might be, that you are, say, automatically, um, when you receive an autism diagnosis, referred on to test if you have chronic pain or if you have any chronic conditions that are unexplained, yeah. you are then referred on for things that might explain them with, that are commonly comorbid with autism. That would be amazing. Yeah, because I was just thinking about, like, that in the diagnosis process, like, I was, like, I was, taking it was that 10 and like and it's like for me, like much of years and like into like like up until the age of 18 it was only like when I started to understand how autism affects me and as you're saying it's important to be able to like think to be more understanding of how it affects you and as you say then like I have a question that's asked about you know where how like how like how do you sleep and then like what like do you experience chronic pain and see if like there's other conditions mm. affect you and like that screening would be so important because as you say like chronic in would say with chronic illnesses it does take years to diagnose and find the answers out and having more medical specialists to have they the ones are diagnosing us or like like general uh, general practitioners, GPs who were more like trained in autism in autistic people and supporting mm. autistic people, so can get like some like some direct support from when we go to like see about like symptoms and see like how they link with like our autism and like the general statistics of those of the community, so it can be easier to understand our health conditions. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it it is exhausting, isn't it? And yes. you know, it just it does sort of show, you know, it makes you feel a bit like the people who are supposed to, you know, be responsible for the cutting edge developments in in your care effectively as a disabled person. They 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 view you with contempt as a community. They think that you're, you know, that you're all hysterical and in the way of them. And that's that's such a problem if you hate us so much like go away don't yeah. study it like go and study like does that, that that someone oh who was it that posted on twitter i'm so sorry and um, that i can't remember who posted this but someone said you know if that's it study rocks or whatever study <laughs> study something else don't study a marginalized community um who have you know who have support needs and and need people to take those seriously yeah and it's like when you think about box it's like they've been studied for years and it's like not not like they do a much of a you know much happening with a walk at the minute that like needs help urgent help with or no. urgent support so <laughs> it's like but, like when you think about like when it comes to stuff like that uh, like what should scientifically focus on or like careers or areas investment and where careers should go in science like it should be definitely be more priorities of what impacts life and what like is in danger as you say and with like like the research into autism is quite important advice as you can like improve like the quality of life and like the longevity in life as understanding more about the mental health of autistic people and our health conditions can like extend our life as you know like mental mm-hmm. health and stuff like that can totally. have its impact on our uh, life expectancy totally and I also think that the the there's a sort of a shame that the the medicalization the the type of medicalization and pathology pathologizing that I got that out yeah. um, of of um, autistic traits and the way that we discuss in the scientific community really impacts the sort of the relationship as well between 
parents of autistic children and autistic adults um, because parents of autistic children are being told by experts like your child is basically broken and you need to send them to this therapy to make them normal and look at the look at the amazing results they're not bothering you as much anymore and they're, what they're hearing from autistic adults is, you know, quite a lot of anger and frustration. And it's not clicking for them that their autistic child is going to grow up to be an autistic adult. And perhaps it would be prudent if they love their child to a, create a world where their child isn't demonized or disregarded or bullied out of out of their perspective, um, you know, because they're no longer a child. Um and, you know, I absolutely want to say that this is not like anti-parents of autistic children. I think there's a huge yeah. difference between like, you know, I think there's an autism parent with a capital A and a capital P who makes that their identity and who, you know, will post their child's meltdowns online. And and really the focus is on how hard it is to be around us. And I think that's that's a problem. That's a problem for me. And I'm, I'm never going to be OK with that. Um, but there are so many wonderful parents of autistic children who, you know, who I talk to on a regular basis, who reach out a lot and they just want to know how to do the best by their kids. And the adult autistic community online is really helpful and useful to them. So I don't want to make it sound like we're all at odds and there's this war yeah. between parents of autistic kids, and autistic adults. There isn't. But I think there is a certain narrative that is presented to parents that they then come up against the adult community and they they don't know what to make of it yeah i had to feel in that and talking about the you know major like the majority of the autistic parents community when he was speaking about that as you like had him that he was saying about the information that all the like sometimes medical professionals give them and you know like some of the research and things you can find out about autism and researching online and you know like sometimes a parent might be led down the wrong path by yeah. like some of the scary stuff you might be doing and the kind of like doing you know like stuff online about autism and I'd say that making them making their child sound invalid or like you know like not speaking nice of the autistic child and I'd say for like like a child with higher sport needs then that can like impact of how they like see how the child's seen for a deal life and you know like it can give them like a quite negative experience of you know how they uh, experience sport and medical professionals telling like they tell to like the movie and then it can be quite hard for, for parents to fight all that yeah absolutely if you you know if you tell if, if you tell a parent your child is ill your child is broken your child needs these therapies in order to have a normal life they will never have a normal life if they don't have these therapies and you're not really gonna necessarily stop to interrogate that you're gonna believe the experts because you know the vast majority of cases you should believe experts they know what they're talking about but you know in in this case not you know i think there's a it's it, it comes down to a fundamental lack of empathy ironically and a fundamental lack of human understanding that your autistic child might not want the quote-unquote normal life that you think is so important and all these milestones that you value they're your values they're not necessarily your child's values the society's values again you know like for 
for example, stopping autistic children from playing the, the way that they want to play in things that are totally harmless, like stop lining up your toys, play with them properly, you know, stop, stop doing, stop stimming, stimming doesn't hurt anyone, sit still, um, you know, um, you should, you shouldn't have such narrow interests, you should want to go on holiday, you should want to break your routine. And these aren't a lot of the time you know I'm not speaking for everyone obviously yes. a lot of the time these aren't the things that make us happy the things that make us happier hyper focusing on our interests the things that make us happier lining things up in a pleasing way as kids the things that make us happier are uh, you know other things that we're naturally doing and to to try and stamp them out of us isn't it's not giving us the gift of a quote normal life it's it's taking away the life that feels good to us in favor yeah. of a life that looks good to you you know yeah because it's like for for happy life it's a big for what makes us feel good and what makes us safe mm-hmm. as we're hinting at today and like I was saying with that then and I think from like historically then you know like sometimes the labels have had huge impact and now like people are like perceived autistic children and like the sports head like and like yourself I was diagnosed like as a hint to do yeah like the age of 10 and like from that because it was given labor made Asperger's at the time, like as you know, it just you was all mm. autistic at the minute, uh, these days. And like I think that had an Im- impact and like lack of support or lack of understanding like my mother was given because like I think she had like a set of documents and like didn't hear much afterwards. And like yeah. and like it's then it comes to be like any like support you would have to like try to reach out voluntarily like to different parent groups and that can be quite daunting and like probably not feel like the best way to get like support and like I think like I think like what would help things a lot better is if like you know uh, parents and children were given examples of what of like autistic people by wherever they're coming into schools and speaking with parents yes yeah totally as as like I think like stuff like autism and other neurodivergent disabilities would be like taught in school and like I you agree. know like and, and so like it's can be normalized and like I think it would be better way of like advocating for your needs and understanding your needs and like being able to say what you know makes you happy what makes you uncomfortable and like if like you're finding things a bit too loud and how to ask for support and stuff like that mm. and and like it's like from from like being able to have like a space where we could also like tell our stories the media and create representation of autistic people telling their stories neurodivergent people telling their stories so it's not just like an article news article of like a journalist researching into telling our story of an autistic person and but like an autistic person telling himself telling him itself and it's like that's also important like someone like you like writing your own life in a memoir yeah and it's getting better it is getting better but we still have you know a, a quite a prevalence and an alarming prevalence of autism shows or autism books or autistic coded characters being written by neurotypical writers and it's really tricky because like obviously writing is about imagination and you can't just write books that are just about your own identity and you know and nothing else because they're they're boring and homogenous however if you are dealing with a minority experience that doesn't have a huge voice of its own yet 
So, you know, there if there aren't hundreds upon hundreds, it's getting a lot better, but there aren't yet hundreds upon hundreds of stories from autistic people. And there certainly aren't many diverse autistic stories. They tend to be. Yeah. And, you know, I recognize I'm part of this problem. You know, I'm Jewish, but I'm I'm still, you know, I'm I'm a white passing Jewish woman. Like I'm I'm white skinned. I'm I'm an Ashkenazi Jew. And so like there's it's a completely different experience, say, from being black and autistic or, you know, any other like I, 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 I guess like identity um, um, and um, intersection that that means that you're you're going to be interpreted in a different way or your story hasn't been heard as much. And so until we have this breadth of stories from autistic people themselves, I really wish neurotypical writers would just step away from it just just until yeah. until there's enough of a baseline cultural understanding. If you want to have at it after that, go for it. But when we are still at a stage where autistic people are just trying to make themselves understood on such a fundamental level and it's the the type of autistic stories that are being told are still so narrow um it's very frustrating to see sort of tv shows being commissioned with like created by holistic people that are about quote autism and it, it's but you know there's also conversely um been a, a recent sort of raft of of of, of autistic led shows being picked up Elle mcnichol has her show um coming out on 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 bbc um Holly Smales has just been announced Geek Girl for Netflix, um, and um, and that's all really great and exciting. We need we need a lot more of that, I think. Yeah, as you say, needs a lot more from that. From uh, you know, like as you say, my not marginalized be some communities on like different uh, sexualities, etc. And mm-hmm. like, uh, as you say, not for many were diagnosed and like first like had the word autism put to you. Then you know, like you was thinking of the the uh, like maths you take being man like stereotype yeah. and you think like from like you know like yourself like writing a memoir to like as you say like authors like Elma Nicole and uh, Holly Smale writing their stories out and speaking about the autism in the media it does help go a long way because like for years and decades there has been a misrepresentation of autistic women a lack of representation and so I think now it's like a start in the progress of like seen more representation of autistic women yeah. and so I think it's like great that you've been able to tell your story in a book and like from your own experiences as there's not many places that uh, like a young autistic woman would be able to find uh, much about somebody who's gone through uh, like mental health struggles you know given all the labels late diagnosis to uh, like struggles in relationships and different stuff like that and that yeah. area is, hasn't been explored and like as you were saying it felt like I think like you speaking as like a, a Jewish woman I think that's oh Jewish autistic woman I think that's still important because there still has hasn't been many like Jewish uh, women re- autistic women represented in the media and it's important to tell as many different stories uh, from like the decades old stereotypes and broaden that out yeah totally and, and you know within Jewish culture specifically there are certain stereotypes and ways that like Jewish women are read that that can feed into our lack of diagnosis you know there, there's a sort of the the stereotype of the the you know very big emotional hysterical Jewish woman and that can mean that our traits are, are missed because we are being we're being perceived in ways that are misogynistic and um there's actually quite a high weirdly quite a high prevalence I don't know the statistics um I'm speaking perhaps anecdotally 
fundamentally but i think you know that autism in the jewish community is is quite high um and like um a, a lot of the other sort of um women who've been writing memoirs and stuff are actually especially in the uk i know are jewish like joanne limberg laura james um so it's really interesting um that that sort of maybe culturally there was something in our upbringing that meant that that we weren't recognized or maybe that's you know maybe that's me over analyzing but i think every minority community will have something like that to different degrees and in some cases it might be very dangerous say you know if you're a young autistic black man in america and you're not diagnosed and you have a meltdown that can be a really dangerous situation if you're interpreted through a racist lens or by a racist police officer um or you know a racist teacher or you're restrained and you know that can be that that can be very very a very different consequence to me you know who is you know for for all intents and purposes i I say for all intents and purposes because whiteness and judaism is really complicated because nazis um but like but i i like to the wider world for all intents and purposes unless i announce that i'm jewish i'm white um the consequences of me having a meltdown in public are just embarrassing versus for for someone else can be really dangerous and all of these experiences need to be part of this big mosaic can't just be you know a white folks telling their stories all the time it ha- that we have to yeah. make room for more voices amplify more voices and and make sure that you know the publishing world the the you know the the commissioning world is telling these stories as well you know not just the the ones that they feel comfortable with yeah i was just saying it's been good how you've been able to establish and you know find a like a community of like uh jewish women who are autistic telling their stories but as we're saying it's important that like like a uh, black uh, men in America like black men around the world could have like you know like start to be able to give them platforms to tell their stories mm. and like be able to like safely have a platform where they can start advocating for themselves so we can have this conversation around like the ableism the racism and in like within a black community you know how to support you know like a, a black uh, autistic community and uh, and it's important as you say in the tell of varying stories and you know like make very community uh, community stronger and more represented yeah absolutely and you know the awareness that that a lot of us might have you know like we might be on the lgbt TQIA under that rainbow yeah. somewhere like quite quite likely we we tend to to not be sort of cis straight het all of us like all of those hetero like all these things and um and so you know understanding that that can be a really uh, crucial part of our identities too and so intersectionality and in, in who gets to tell their stories is yeah. so important we've got such a long way to go with that I think you know it's the progress is so painfully slow yeah exactly yeah that, yeah that's what's like because you know as you say not like right now in terms of like who who's has the uh, ability to get like a memoir published or have the uh, like story told in like a TV show to any type of film or documentary or whatever. It's still as you say in you know, like a marginalized few and you know from like like it's still quite like from white passing people who are you know, like from still from privileged backgrounds mm. or like yeah or like in positions where it's a bit more 
normal EGM to write a book on, you know, get something published in, in the story. And it, it's hard to still got many hurdles to come in it. Yeah, absolutely. And those hurdles start, you know, right at the beginning. They start with with really complex things like socioeconomic disparity. They start with um they start with encouragement and education and opportunity yeah. and you know these these small acts of discrimination that will shape your whole life. So you know it it takes a for for a disabled person it takes a huge amount of support um to and and financial security and everything else to be able to sort of make it in an industry like the arts um and that's that's true of of you know whether you're disabled or not it's it's a very privileged industry but if you are if you are disabled it's harder to say hold down a job and support yourself and you know um and also you know have the the time and energy to write at the end of the day or or to have that self-belief or or anything else so you know it's the problems are structural and societal and they're problems in publishing and their problems in commissioning and their problems in in lots of things but you know all we can do is sort of keep i guess keep uh, passing the mic and making noise and and hoping that uh, that things you know we can all do better with that i think i i tend to like yeah. i'm quite probably quite a self-absorbed person i tend to just like relay my own experience and and forget to to amplify other people and i think it's really important to remember yeah it's important to remember and like as you say like as you introduce yourself as a somebody who, who's written for comedy so it's in uh, Britain, my life's difficult. So, it's, so was like to already been established as a writer in the field of comedy writing. Did that help you, like, to have the confidence to uh, go on to book writing and well, uh, be writing your debut member? Yeah, and I think you know, there's a sort of ironic tragedy that had I not already had some sort of profile and some sort of success in the in the field, and I was, you know, I'm not, I wasn't wildly successful. I was still starting out to a great extent, but. I think had I not already established myself to to some degree, I don't know how seriously I would have been necessarily taken if I just come along and said, "Oh, I'm autistic and I want to be a writer." I don't, you know, I don't know what how the industry would have received me if I hadn't already been like in the industry and people hadn't known me a little bit. Um, and it it wasn't something that was an, an add-on. And I think that's another thing to to be really aware and mindful of that people shouldn't have to mask their autistic traits or or you know be late diagnosed or anything else in order to have those opportunities and to be taken seriously in the industry and I did notice as well after my diagnosis that there there were there were the, the opportunities changed people stopped actually pretty much almost overnight stopped asking me into writers rooms it's almost like there was some sort of stigma attached to being autistic where they thought I might suddenly even though I'd never been a problem in the past suddenly be very volatile in a room or not be able to cope or something um but I got a lot of bigger opportunities I got you know a long-term projects narrative projects book projects and so like it, it, which actually works really nicely for me because I, I much prefer working in my own time and at home. But it is interesting that, you know, things, you know, things did change. Things did shift yeah. with the way. And and I think people people are sort of a bit jumpy around me until, you know, they get to know me a bit. They're like, oh, it, it, you're not going to bite my head off suddenly or start crying or probably will start crying. Um, I cry a lot, but um, <laughs> but it's fine. It's fine. It's happy crying. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I had one person who I um, I worked with for a long time who um you know who always thought I was quite competent I think and then I in passing disclosed my diagnosis and they started calling me like little buddy (laughs) that's um that's uh yeah I mean okay I guess I'm little buddy now (laughs) 
Yeah, as you were saying, that, you know, like, you know, you had your bigger opportunities to expose some, something off a positive, but, you know, like, as you said, you know, like, kind of like, weren't as included in my disease then when you had a diagnosis. And, like, even though, like, you, as I said, you know, you've been able to work a bit more flexible with doing these bigger projects and opportunities that you're grateful for, but I guess you would have, like, the opportunity to be, to have always been quite included after your diagnosis in the writer's room and still playing coverage to uh, go in and write for television shows. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think part part of it is like the, the pandemic and sort of a natural like, um, you know, and, and I'm, I'm at higher risk of complications of COVID, so I, I tend to stay out of things. Um, but, you know, there were that this predates the pandemic by a couple of years. And I did notice those sort of face-to-face group opportunities drying up because, maybe people have had autism training that says we don't like groups or or they're worried you know they're, they're worried because of things they've heard I think I don't know what the reason was or if it was just a coincidence and I'm reading too much into it but it did yeah. feel like that side of things dried up and the like the sort of the longer term like bigger picture projects started happening and um you know for, for the longest time it just looked like I wasn't working because I was working quietly on a book that hadn't been announced um and so that was a really weird time for me because I was sort of like you know I'd put so much of my identity into like I write in writer's room it's really cool and then like it just wasn't happening anymore um but ultimately i you know i i am happy with the way things have gone and i, yeah. I wouldn't change it i'm you know i'm happy with where i am God, you're happy with it, where you are where, where you are i guess the thing is like when you like like felt that you know where you get less opportunities you would think quite in, introspective then but so i guess there's still uh, like lack of like things understood be like changed a bit and adjusted in the, the workplace of writers rooms to make autistic people are and they will take people feel included in the spaces yeah i think there's a long a long way to go with that you know i i when i first started sort of wearing my sunglasses in into writers rooms because it's it hurts not to um you know i i would get sort of comments and there was this one really unpleasant experience with this i was i was doing a room um just for this this um this show doing links for something and this guy just sort of who i'd never met before just came in and started interrogating me about why I was wearing my sunglasses and I'd ne- never spoken to before and the guy I was writing with just like I guess to get rid of him was like um she has a condition he goes he just stood there and oh a condition how interesting and he just stood there glaring at me and I was thinking this is nothing just go- this is nothing to do what's it to you what's on my face yeah. I'm, do- I'm doing my work leave me alone and so it, you know it makes you a bit more apprehensive about going into these spaces when people don't have that education that to understand why you, you might have different needs to them yeah because like if a person says that you feel quite intimidated and yeah you know like it's a bit quince so you wouldn't know how to deal and like it's enough to deal with that in the workplace because I say that you know like you're probably working in a room like that probably quite bright fluorescent lights yeah and if you got the sun coming in it's quite bright then and you you would need like something like sunglasses then and yep. to like dim the room out and yeah then it's quite hard to explain things and as I said it's enough to then and what so what was like working in a like like a writing room on like uh comedy shows like especially for focused on the news as uh, an autistic person and like you know like focusing on like like trying to write uh, jokes on like like the news of the week 
Um, it, it's so it's a lot of fun. Um, you know, it's sort of it can be a high pressure. And if you're if you're like me and you find it difficult, I think what what was always tricky for me was when people were chucking jokes out into the room, and when it was sort of I, I guess a, a group situation like that, and everyone's making noise, and and you're like, no, 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 I need quiet to think of the jokes. Like I can't do it like this. Um, yeah. and there, you know, there were some shows where that was part of the process. You would have you know half hour where everyone just chucked things out and whatever makes it on makes it on and I I always would sit there close to tears during that point because I was like I don't I can't think because you're all talking and all I can think is the last thing you said um but um you know it, it's also you know an issue of comfort like I have a writing partner for for screenwriting stuff and he's brilliant and wonderful and you know we tend to build on stuff that each other says and I actually find it a lot easier to to work when I'm talking through things with him but when there's everyone talking at once it's it's quite a lot but most of the time you know writers rooms can be really fun if you if you manage you know if you if you do have people who understand what your needs are that you just need to go away for half an hour and work on things by yourself and you can't be in that sort of hectic environment if you can convey those needs and people can be understanding then it's great so I think you know just yeah more understanding is needed and um and more inclusivity and and not just tokenistic inclusivity where they're like oh we're recruiting neurodivergent people but they don't really understand what that means or or how to properly support neurodivergent people once they're yeah. actually in the space you know yeah because as you're saying after like then if you know like you can go that conversation by bouncing around then you know like it's hard to think because you're trying to process the noise of boy everyone's saying around you and then it, yeah. it kind of gets quite uh, crammed and busy in the head with the, the like the century processing stuff and like probably find it easier just to be able to like listen to like like a soft bit of that and then like like reflect for like independently but yeah. we're going on cricket and then like feedback the ideas and I guess that's probably where you find it's been more preferable to like like whether it's writing books or maybe yeah. like writing articles or stuff like that yeah definitely for me personally but you know everyone's different and um, yeah. that doesn't mean I'd never want to do a room again it just um yeah. I think I'd want to do a room understanding myself better and being able to better convey what I need from from yeah. that situation yeah as like hinted it's like your careers involved from evolved from that point and you know kind of like when to try, try things a bit different yeah yeah, yeah for sure uh, so like after like you've uh, published your book and you like that's been out for a couple of months and it came out in October I think it was last October oh god I think it was the <laughs> May before last I can't even remember now <laughs> I think it was I think it was was it May it wasn't last year it was the year before uh, the pandemic has completely yeah. um, warped my sense of time and space. I didn't even know when my book came out. I don't know. That's embarrassing. Yes. And so, like, have you found yourself working on any other projects? I have. And it's one of those really, really annoying things where it's like, um, yeah. There's a lot going on and none of it's been announced yet. So it yeah, just, like it's just another couple of years where it looks like I'm not working. <laughs> yeah, you can't really tease anything. So what? So like for so like in like wait for more to book and like like this stuff you work on and like what you tend to play, like give people like a like a tease or like a reason why you like to purchase the book or what they can expect from reading your book. Um, gosh um it's I mean it's it's one autistic person's experience so like if you're looking for a textbook on autism um it's not for you um but it's you know it's a comedy memoir uh, and you know it has its sad bits and it has its it has its moments but 
ultimately you know it's it's written it there's a lot of gags um most most people seem to appreciate them some people don't it's okay um but you know it's 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 a book with a sense of humor it doesn't take itself too seriously um I think it's quite a light you know quick read so you know and and I think it's it's I think the misunderstanding is that it's like it's for autistic people and that's it and like you everyone knows an autistic person everybody everybody at least one like you probably know a lot of autistic people you might not know that you know autistic people but you do and you might read the book and recognize yourself or someone else that you know and love in it um or just understand how to better support people around you um or what's going on for them how to not you know how to not put them through the kind of things that autistic people have been put through historically so yeah uh, I, i'd say it's a read that and read lots of other books by autistic people as well there are yeah. lots of great books by autistic people like don't don't let that be the only thing that you read and think well i know about autism now because I'm, I'm one person yeah as you were saying like you know it's quite good uh, it's like a tech not like a textbook you know fact so much too much of a factual uh, or like a uh, you know telling off autism because you know like that's already been done and you know like it's like sometimes if you're trying to find like a nice book to read on autism like an easy one to read you know like you don't want to be faced with something a bit too jargony and hard follower so yeah. it's good to start like something that's kind of like authentic like stories of an autistic person to yeah. follow and as you say you know like it's a good starting point of like of like an artist an autistic per- person's account and like from that you could read of uh, many artistic people's, uh, you know, books are like, coming out. Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah, and, uh, you know, like, I think it's quite helpful then to, uh, you know, add uh, elements of comedy in because, you know, like, then, as you say, it does make it easier to read and a bit more, you know, easier to follow and a bit more entertaining to read because, like, I think that it can be quite emotive book because, you know, like, as you say, you, you like, have elements of comedy because uh, especially when, like, some of the labels and, like, like finding light in some of the more, you know, moments of, of your life and then you know like you'll still with elements of personal trauma and like you know like loss of family members caring for family members to have a different elements of like empathizing on as an autistic person and I think it's pretty good that the book brings out elements of like what somebody could read in an article about autism or what uh, like traits people might see and bring that to life and humanize it and like like see, see how it can be seen in an autistic person they may know and like to be able to like go all of that you know maybe like that makes a bit more sense of the person yeah. I know on makes a bit more sense of the autistic person I am and you know it makes it be easier to empathize if you're just reading and like a natural story of like somebody's life and somebody's treats of autism rather than like just list or like what's best to like be around an autistic person yeah Oh, thank you. Well, that was the aim. So, you know, I'm really glad that that's, that's coming across in some way. So that's, yeah. that's really good to hear. Yeah. So you, it was pretty easy to read. But like, I'd say there's like been like certain points where like deals with like, you know, family loss or like, yeah. family, you know, stuff like that. There may have been like moments for reading my friend to pause. But I'd say it's quite good read, you know, like, and, you know, like quite good reflective on, you know, like it all comes together, you know, very good. Thank you. Yeah. And no, definitely some trigger warnings there. Like, 
you know, yeah. if you've if you've lost loved ones to cancer or, you know, there there's there's some there's some difficult stuff in there. Um and yeah. so like all the content warnings, like read with yeah. caution, you know, take breaks if you need to. You don't have to read it if it if it sounds yeah. too much. So like uh yeah, just uh like it's it's a it's a real life story and and some crappy things yeah. happen in life and that's uh that's what it is. So. I guess when you've ever written it, you'll probably need to have like bits from it yourself and yeah. Well, I feel like writing down very personal things that you know like anybody could pick up on yourself and read yeah it's it is you know it's not an easy process um I have really great editors and publishers and you know they were very supportive and like really let me lead on what I felt comfortable sharing um and it's interesting that that like the more I share the the less anxious I feel about it in a way because it's like you know what what are you, what are people going to use as a gotcha I've said everything myself you know like it's it's out there it's you know like yeah. there's something sort of empowering about owning your stuff um, and and not, you know, not being ashamed or scared of what people might find out about you because it's, you know, you are, you, you're up front and there's there is something liberating about that. It's not for everyone and I wouldn't recommend it for yeah. everyone. But for me, it was, you know, it was OK. I was all right. I know a lot of people yeah. have felt differently. Um, you know, a lot of different writers have, have found it very difficult, but I'm, I've been OK. Oh, good. As as you said, you know, like it's good, good you manage to put it out and, you know, like, I guess, like from that, you know, like your next project evolved from doing stuff like this, you know, and, and so well, uh, like other like elements of like what we want to talk about, you know, like I guess probably won't be much longer in the interview because I think we have a lot of bases as like, you know, like you engage a lot of social media and find that as a way of engaging the artistic community, learn about yourself and like the injustices of the community and different issues within it and the guests has helped you feel less alone and like I think the difficult thing about being artistic is like change as well and change within like social media and like I think with like certain like way like Twitter and social media is gone and like mm. you put you very uh, frequent use of social media and you kind of like had certain negative experiences from it and you know like certain negative comments made so what they have for people, you know, to, towards you. So what's been your uh, experience of using social media and how have you found that, like certain changes been made to social media? Um, well, the, the great Musk takeover hasn't been wonderful. Like, you know, social media has always been a difficult space for anyone with any kind of marginalised identity. You know, I've been Jewish on the internet for a, yeah. a lot longer than I've been autistic on the internet. Um, and, you know, I've been both for five years and, um, uh, you know, quite publicly. And that can... I mean, it's a mixed bag. I've I've had I've made some really really great friends via Twitter, via social media, um, and I wouldn't have those relationships in my life. I've had amazing opportunities come from social media, you know. But you do you get a lot of abuse. Um, you get you know it it can be very difficult if you you know if you take that stuff to heart. I used to take it to heart pretty badly. It used to be very hurtful to me. I I still have moments if I'm sort of in a bad mood or if I'm emotional about something else where I'll just sort of go off um if somebody says the wrong thing but um you know most of the time I feel at this point I feel pretty resilient it's like you know what what else are you gonna say come on like it's I've been I've been doing this for long enough it's just you know I I just say like if you are if you know you're using Twitter as a space to organize or whatever block liberally um be careful what you DM people because I think it will all it is is all gonna tumble out at some point um you know Twitter's very broken um and just you know lock 
lockdown when you have to take breaks when you have to and just use it use it wisely use it carefully and put your mental health first at all times because not everyone has a hard shell um and it, it can be really damaging yeah you can see you've been able to learn over the years and adapt as your like social media presence and like your follower account has grown on how to like you know like take self-care and do things for your mental health not let you know where uh, things you know like affect your mood uh, too much and you know like I think that's important to be you like you know foundries locking down or like taking breaks from Twitter and I think that can be helpful because you know, like social media yes can be a positive thing but like can be quite negative as well so there's nuances to it as you say like you manage to find friends and like learn so much from it but I say like from like being like a Jewish uh, autistic woman you like seeing much uh, ableism anti-semitism and misogyny on the platform so Yes, you know, like you really see the two sides of the platform. Yeah, yeah, you get to see it all. You know, it's all sides of humanity, isn't it? It's the, yeah. the, the bad and the ugly, but you know, it's amplified, and we're not necessarily meant to deal with that kind of that level of constant input. So, yeah, yeah just self care is is what I'd say. If if you're if you're on it, like it, great, but just you know, be, look after yourself. Yeah, often or not, like a like ends a conclusion point in the interview and. Often not in the interview, I tend to like, oh, this is one of the final questions. Maybe it's like an effort tricky one, but like, where if it comes to the editor first, like, what, like, what one thing as an neurodivergent artistic person would you change in the world to make it better for yourself or other artistic people? Oh, one thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, man. That's it. A- can be said, any random thing that comes to your head. I would have, I would have, um, th- this is a dream world. This is a dream world. I would yeah. have a, a specific, like highly trained carer for every autistic person, like like a support person who like does all your stuff. Because I have that, I have that in my husband. It's wonderful. Can't recommend it enough. I would, I would have that for everybody. Everybody gets a John. Everybody yeah. gets a John to call the doctor for them and make their food for them and do the shopping and do the things that are scary and stressful so that you can do the things that that you uh that you're good at and uh and not have to suffer the things that you're not um yeah I'd I would clone him and I would I would distribute him um uh, the ethics of that I'm, I'm not going to think about that but I, I would yeah I would I would mass manufacture my husband and give it give everyone one. Oh, that's a nice compliment for your husband isn't it <laughs> yeah it's like so you can see like the answers that uh, different people are giving for this question and you know like it's a different firm day I mean like to see what comes out yeah, yeah. as like when can can meet an hour to have you it's Kim Fleoni oh yeah she's great uh, yeah, yeah yeah and she like came up to the idea of teleportation <laughs> oh that's good yeah, yeah. teleportation and uh, cloning we're, uh, we're so really high tech here what, what, so uh, what, is there anything else so you wanted to come on this pod when you keep got invited to come on the podcast is there anything in this conversation you went to the same but you haven't got the chance to say yet oh gosh nothing I can think of I've talked and talked to about. just thank you so much for having me it's it's been absolutely lovely and uh real pleasure to just talk about being autistic for for a while and uh have that safe space so thank you so much for creating it yeah any quick things you want to promote or like tell people where to follow you yeah if you want to find me on twitter i'm at sarah s-a-r-a underscore rose underscore g 
um and uh you can get my book pretty much anywhere you buy books it's called drama queen one autistic woman and a life of unhelpful labels and there will be um some very very big announcements coming soon um hopefully um in april there's going to be a, a big one coming so uh keep your eyes peeled for that and uh yeah thank you so much again for having me it's been oh, thanks again for sarah voice gibbs from coming on the podcast as I said, you can read more about, about her and you'll be able to read a summary of the podcast interview soon on the new website, www.newringbowproject.com, where you'll be able to find, as I said, where you're getting to know Sarah and hopefully soon I'll upload a YouTube video of this uh, podcast interview for free and link that in on the website and all the social media channels you can uh, contact me at the usual email address of newercast at abocrio.com that's newercast at a-a-r-o-w-a-a-r-o-w-c-r-e-o.com that's newercast at abocrio.com if you want to get in touch with any feedback, ideas and comments on the podcast or any specific podcast interviews and you'll be able to contact me for the usual uh, social media channels in including Instagram and TikTok and uh, Facebook at Rainbow Project and, your, and next time on the podcast you'll hear me Sat into comedian Luke Poulton. Currently working on getting some more in, interview guests soon, so keep locked on to social media channels that I have and the website for any future announcements of uh, any guests. This has been a podcast for um, the New Rainbow Project, uh, our audio production, and hosted by me, myself. Artistically, and 